This is Pastor Mike from Jordan Lutheran Church, and you're about to hear one of our Sunday morning messages. At Jordan, we're passionate about learning from the Bible and pray that this message makes an impact in your life. I have a cat. I don't confess that at the beginning of sermons just to kind of um, get it out there. I, I tell you that because um, she's a terrible animal. And I miss her because I don't get to see her as much when I'm on the road. But uh, I got her when she was three days old. I found her at my uh, home, my first congregation that I served in Orlando. She was three days old. She had been kind of deserted by her mom. And as good Pastor Billy, uh, you need to take this cat home and take care of it. Okay, if you've ever raised a cat from that age on, there are some motherly things that you have to do to a baby cat before she turns about six weeks old and can do certain things on her own. And so we bonded pretty, uh, pretty tightly. So from then on, eight years in now, I've been her mom and her caretaker, and I feed her, and she loves me, and she cuddles with me. Uh, She gets excited when I come home. She's a great animal for me. Disclaimer, don't ever visit me. She is a terrible animal and wants you to bleed. So don't visit my house. But she loves me. We have this perfect, wonderful relationship. She is like a stuffed animal that can walk up and crawl into bed with me. But if I ask my cat to do something, And she fully understands what I'm asking her to do, because if you know, cats are just as smart as dogs in most of that top tier of animals. She looks at me, and she absolutely does not do it, right? You know this about cats. They do not do what you tell them to do. They know what you want them to do, but they don't do it. Why? Because they're not your pet. You haven't domesticated the cat. In fact, the cat's domesticated you because it says, feed me, pet me, and take care of my litter box. Now, you know the other animal I'm about to talk about, right? A dog, if I had a dog that had the same relationship that I have with my cat from three days old all the way eight years in, and and I took care of it and loved it and cared for it, that dog would do anything that I told it to do, right? Yeah. Today, and we're going to get off of this analogy now because it starts to break down, but I'm going to use it as a springboard to say this. Don't be a cat. Be a dog. And a lot of scripture, especially uh, starting with our Old Testament lesson today, is giving us that argument. Don't be a cat. Be a dog. In other words, do what the Lord calls you to do. If you've got your Bibles, open them to Isaiah 29, and we're going to bounce around a little bit today. In our reading, in this prophecy from Isaiah, things aren't going well. And this is in a larger narrative about the destruction of Jerusalem that is to come. So it's not positive, but it gives us some insight and then connects to the gospel reading today into what we do as people who are asked to do things by our Creator, by our Lord, by our Redeemer. And over this summer, you've been talking through a lot of the background that should propel us to say yes to go. So I give you that argument about a dog. You feed them, you take care of them, you you love them, and then you ask them to do something, and they do it. They do it. And we as a congregation, when we're encountering God as we embrace the Word, well, then we need to go impact all nations. This is in an order for a reason. You gather here, you enjoy your time together as a community, and then you're called to now go. Thousands and thousands of churches around the world, billions of people this morning in the same place as you, so that at the end of the service, go. 
for thousands of years in the past, the same command has gone out to God's people. We get to mark the entry into God's family through our baptisms, but originally it was by birth, Abraham and his descendants. You know the song. But things fall apart. Good job. Things fall apart pretty quick. So, 29.11, here you go. From then on forward, where is this? The Lord said, because the people draw near with their mouth and honor me with their lips, while their hearts are far from me, and their fear of me is a commandment taught by men. What the prophecy is getting, what the Lord is saying through Isaiah on that day is, you guys aren't doing what I told you to do. You're not a light to the world like I promised you would be to Abraham, your father. You aren't owning up to this wonderful family that I've made you a part of, my chosen people. In fact, most of you barely believe that I exist. You you just kind of worship me because it's a fun construct that your society has built. It's a commandment of your society. Your your offerings are just something you do. Your, Your Sunday mornings, in that case it was on Saturdays, are just because it's a tradition. And he's laying it out. And so, even when I command you to go do something, you've built these these frameworks in your life that end up giving you wonderful excuses not to follow my call to go. You know you should, at least in theory. You have the idea, and, and for us, we know what God calls us to do. But in that moment of go... We heard in Bible class today that that feeling inside of you when your heart starts pounding in that little moment. You've got to say something. Now is the time. The Lord is calling me to talk to the person next to me, to reach out to that person that I can see is on the brink of tears, but it's a stranger, and I don't know if I want to engage in this conversation. For that coworker who says, hey, what are you doing for lunch? Can I spend it with you? And in your mind, you're going, I don't want to sit through lunch with this person. I just want to sit in my cube and not talk to anybody today. In that moment of discernment, when you're sitting here in these ridiculously comfortable chairs, by the way, ridiculously comfortable chairs, and one of you stands up here and makes a call to the congregation and says, let's take this step forward. Join this new ministry. Come on this mission trip. Come engage with your neighbor. And you have that point of discernment. You know that point of discernment. And you go, ooh, I got a lot of, I got a lot of excuses that I could use here. Which one do I want to pull out today? I have brunch plans. That's my favorite excuse. Or I already have things this way. I have my schedule. That's uncomfortable. Excuses, excuses. Here in Isaiah, there's a larger framework that's exposed that we've built in traditions of men into our existence as God's people. Like a cat, we've flipped things around, the Lord says here through his prophet Isaiah. We're acting like the potters. We're not acting like the clay. We're acting like the God. We're not acting like the one who God has made and cares for. You know this one. Dogs think they're humans and cats think they're gods. Well, you know what? We don't often enjoy the fact that we're humans. We want to be in charge. We want to be at the top. And we build these constructs to do so. Flip over to Mark 7. I don't want to ignore the gospel reading because it actually quotes uh, this reading, which is something great. Jesus quotes himself all the time. Mark chapter 7, now the Pharisees gathered with him. And so you're continuing on. So the people that Isaiah are talking to, generations later, now the Pharisees gathered him and the scribes as well. And they had come there to Jerusalem, which is also interesting because if you recall, in Isaiah they're talking about the destruction of Jerusalem. 
and here now in what is to be the rebirth of Jerusalem through Jesus Christ, they're still arguing. They're still holding on to the thing that destroyed their, their country before, the reason they're occupied, the reason they don't have their own free nation, the reason they don't have a good relationship with their Lord, the reason they need all of these hierarchy leaders because those people had failed long ago, and it continues. And they saw some of the disciples who ate with their hands that were defiled. Now, this is a specific command that they're going after. But if you've heard for many years all the different arguments in Scripture, the Pharisees, Sadducees, and, uh, and the scribes bring to Jesus, all these different arguments they try to bring against Jesus, they're all about traditions. Jesus, you healed someone on, on the Sabbath day. Isn't that the most ridiculous story you've ever heard? Like, what a crazy argument. That, this person, you've, just, you've done a miracle. We all saw it. In fact, we are acknowledging that we saw your amazing power. But you did it on the Sabbath day, so now. That's how seriously ingrained these people are in the traditions, in the constructs. And I'm going to say it this way. In the excuse structure that they had built. You know, of course, the story of the Good Samaritan, the great parable. The two guys who go first and go on the other side and don't help the guy, their excuse isn't that, ew, we don't want to help this person. It's that they're living in this excuse construct of their faith, of their people. I can't help that person because I'll be defiled and then I won't be able to perform my duties in the temple. That's the reason that that story made sense to other people. That's what the original hearers heard. And even in a story like this, as it was passed on uh, for those Jews that were slowly being converted to Christianity, they would hear this proclamation as, as the Gospel of Mark was first given orally back and forth to folks in synagogues. And this story of Jesus and, and the person who was hearing, the, the you right now, if I was telling you this story for the first time and you all are Jews in a synagogue, I'm guessing their chairs were not this comfortable, but you were in a synagogue and I came and told you about this, you would be nodding your head. Well, why weren't the disciples washing your hands? Well, you have to. Because we lived inside of this crazy construct. But guess what? We're not unique. We have our own excuse construct. That's okay. Holy Spirit from here on out. <laughs> I'll pick it up. And you know some of the excuses. Now, I gave you some funny examples like brunch, although it's a good one. Oh, thank you. He's going to see that I have nothing actually written down. It's all fake. <laughs> so this is going to be the interactive time of the service. Give me an example of some folks in Scripture that when they were called by God to go, go, go serve on my behalf, go be the light of the world, go do this amazing thing, they gave a nice excuse. Well, man, you guys are, I thought I was going to have to prime them. No. All right, we're going to start with Jonah because that was the one I was going to use because it's low-hanging fruit. Jonah, <laughs> the Lord says, go, do your thing. Save Nineveh. What does he do? He's like, I want to go for a swim. No, he doesn't say that. He, he says, no, the Ninevites? They're terrible. He fears for his life. His excuse is, well, I, I'll be dead. No way. Now, I, as I'm projecting my own excuses onto Jonah, I, I've never had that tug on my heart to go for Christ and fear for my life. My, my excuse has never been I fear for my life. My excuse might be, 
I like the system that I'm in. I like, I like my, my reputation. I like the relationship I have to these people, even if I don't have one. And so that's my excuse. Jonah's is that to the maximum. And he goes the other direction. Now, you know the normal Jonah sermon. The Lord is going to do whatever he wants to do with whoever he wants to do. And Jonah's the dramatic version of that. But that excuse is something that I think all of us have. I don't want to. It's uncomfortable. I don't, I don't want, ugh. What, what will they think of me? Someone else said Moses. What was Moses' great excuse to the Lord? Just a phenomenal excuse to the Creator. Uh, I, I, I know how to talk real good. Well, he stuttered. I'm not good at stuttering. <laughs> but, yeah, that was his excuse. I can't talk good. Oh. There's a bush talking to you, man. Come on. Like, the Lord's going to take care of the talking. In fact, the great creator and redeemer actually had a brother to help him out with that. Anyone got another one? Let's switch to New Testament. Peter. What about Peter? He did not. He was a, he ran his mouth too much. He had the opposite problem of Moses. And, man, he just had his own way of seeing things. And so when the Lord would make some great proclamation, this go proclamation, Peter, man, you're going to be the best. The church will be built on you. Okay? So, so what you mean, Lord, is that we're going to go into this great battle and we're going we're to take over things and we're going to rise up like King David and we're going to bring the kingdom back. She's like, no, man. Come on. His excuse, his problem, his barrier to going for Christ is that he wanted to go for Peter. He had his idea of things. And it's great because, it's not great, but throughout Scripture, even into the book of Acts, they are still holding on to their version of the future. So the barrier for go for Christ is, I want it to be this way. And God, what you're telling me to do is something over here. And I'm struggling to fit into my worldview, to my day's agenda. Throughout Scripture, it's how we struggle. But if you really do boil it all down, I think the reason we build these constructs and we have these pockets full of excuses when we get that call is we're afraid. We're afraid of change. We're afraid of things not being under our control. Even though if I asked everyone in here if they're in control, you'd say, well, no, but we like to pretend. We're afraid we don't have the right words. We're afraid we ain't got the same good talking words that this man does down here. It's true. So what do we do with that? Lord, we want to go. In fact, we're convinced. We're convinced. In fact, we spent all summer, many of you spent your entire lives learning about what it is to be baptized into the family and to be the light of the world. And you hear the voice of God that tell you to go and then you're like, mm, I'm afraid to take that step. The little step to talk to the guy in the cube next to me. The little step to interact with that person who I know, I know needs someone to hear them today. I know it. Or maybe I'm somebody who, man, God's calling me to take a big step, a big change in life. And i just going to stay here. Now, I don't have too much time to unpack everything, so I'm just going to zoom in 
to a verse that I'm sure you all know and have heard a ton of times. It's the end of the book of Matthew, which is one of the many ways we see the last moments with Christ before he ascended to heaven. Those last words in Matthew, also some of those words recorded in the book of Acts. Right before he ascends, the Great Commission, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Check for you today. Good job. (laughs) Teaching them all I've commanded you. And behold, I am, behold, I am with you even to the end of the age. Now, that's one spot. It happens all over the place where the Lord reminds us after these after these crazy commands, after these crazy go moments in Scripture, he always, check me on this, he always reminds us in those moments, hey, but, but I'm with you. Go through the Psalms and all those different prayers and declarations. When we're praying for the Lord to do things, deliver me, all these things, but it always ends with these declarations of, and you're with me, and you're my redeemer, and you're here to the ends of the earth, to the ends of the age. Book of Revelation, the Alpha, the Omega, I'm always here, I'm in control, I am. So this whole fear thing is just your foundational construct that I've destroyed. Because I was the one who took it on. And I'm the one who overcame it through my son Jesus Christ. You think all those emotions in the Garden of Eden as Jesus prayed to his Father were just sort of window dressing for the drama that became movies years later? No, he had all the weight, all the fears, all the excuses that when his father said, now go and save the world, all that human sin that we deal with in the midst of the go command was on him and he pushed through all of it and died. It's that guy that's with you. It's that the one that's with you in the midst of those commands. He's the one who speaks beside you like Aaron did to Moses. He's the one that came before you and inside of you. And when you say, just a few days and Nineveh will be destroyed, everyone falls on their knees because it's the power of the word of the Lord that comes out of your mouth. He's the one who sits next to you as you sit next to someone else who just needs you to sit there while they go through something. And they can't understand it and you can't understand it. But after 20 minutes of just sitting there, things are better. There's hope. There seems to be joy again. You know that. You know those moments. How did what I just do change everything? It's because of who's with us. Who's around us. All right, here's the problem at this point in the sermon for us clergymen. So far to this point, I've been in Tony Robbins mode. You notice I'm Italian. I used to be an entertainer, and so I use my hands a lot. I would do more spins, but I haven't checked the floor yet. And I know that the Lord has gifted me with a good tongue, not as good as him. He is a better preacher than me. You can talk circles around people. It's awesome. But it's at this moment where I've convinced you. I've gotten you excited. And if these chairs were so comfortable, you might be standing up and praising the Lord. But it's the next few steps after you leave this place that I worry about. And I shouldn't worry. That's my own sin. Because I want the Lord to go with you. But I want in that moment today when the Holy Spirit does tug on you. And tugs on you along with the other billions of Christians around the world and says, now, be me. Be Christ to this person. 
Speak a little gospel. Give a little love. Change your actions a little bit here because it'll benefit this person. In the perfect world, from my view, who works with the whole Lutheran church, if all of us, if all 2.1, give or take a few million Lutherans, this week, if we all did what the Lord was doing through us, owned it, threw out the excuses, and did what the Lord called us to do, man, would America be different. In a week. Add the whole world to that. So, what do I do? Lord, how do I move these people and myself to that final step where all excuses fall away and our view of things is different, that our actual view of our interaction with the world is different? And believe it or not, my favorite verse to do that is the inspiration for our epistle reading today. The epistle reading that all of you wives and husbands love when it comes up in the lectionary. Turn to Ephesians 5, and I'm going to change your understanding of this verse real quick. And trust me, if you just laughed, I need you to open to Ephesians 5. Because I can't tell this to you, I need to show it to you. Because in Ephesians 5... Paul has been having this long conversations with the church of Ephesus. And if you go back a little bit into 4.17 and on, you'll see the heading there in your Bible from, from the scribes long ago. And he's talking about this new life. So, very applicable to today. Thank you, baptized children. In your new life, he talks through how it actually looks different. How you're approaching the world differently now, now that you've been baptized. And so from then on, and I'm not going to go through it all because allegedly you have plans later today. Um, then into five, walk in love. So he starts to summarize things. He says, okay, so in essence, you've been walking for yourself. Now that you're baptized, you walk in love. You're surrounded by love, and you're motivated by love. And he's talked about what love is in other places. And then he kind of zooms it all down and says, now, in verse 21, let's summarize all of it. He summarizes everything that he has said, that Paul has said. In essence, in my opinion, because I'm the one preaching, so... Everything that has been commanded in Scripture to people post-Abraham, meaning the moment that the Lord said, you are my chosen people and you will be different. Here is how you will be different. Here is a simple way to remind yourself that when you're called to go for Christ, this is what you do. Look at verse 21. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. When we say go for Christ... What we're really saying is verse 21 of Ephesians. Submit yourself to everyone else out of reverence for Christ. Now, you know the gospel here, right? Now, now why out of reverence for Christ would I submit myself to others? I think you talked about this last week and beyond, right? Because he first submitted himself for you. Now, we've got to talk about the word submit. Oh, English. We're a terrible language. The word submit is not the submit word. We in English have have taken this word and kind of done this to it. I'm submitting to you. That's not what the word means. And I'll prove it to you. The word submit in the Greek is the same as the word serve. By the way, it's the same as the word slave. It's only one word in Greek. We split it apart in America 
in English because, you know, we did things with the Word. But for us, in Scripture, in Greek, what the Lord is saying is serve one another. Be actively serving one another. Well, who is the greatest servant of all? Just making sure you're these seats, man. Who is the greatest servant of all? Yeah. And so out of reverence for him, he just says, do the same thing. You don't need to die on the cross. I took care of that, but serve others. All right, husbands and wives are the only ones allowed to do this. Hands up in the air. Okay, everyone can do it if there's someone around you. So partner up, partner up, partner up. I'll do it with you. Come on. I've known him longer than almost anyone in here. All right, everyone here, put your hand down. One person, and you put yours on top. I'll put mine on top, and I'll put yours on top. Now, you know this sort of game, right? Are you all doing this? Everyone doing this? We have Purell. Okay, ready? So I try to be on top. You know this, right? You push down to try to, ah, I'm going to be on top. Okay, I'm going to be on top, right? Okay, we can stop there. I'm glad your ring doesn't have a, a gem on or anything. That's good. All right, I'm going to hold this as long as possible to make it awkward for everybody. That's the normal way that the world works. My interaction pre-baptism was that. I want to be first. I want to be on top. I want to be in control. I want to push the other person down so that I can be in charge. To submit is now, pastor, take your hand and slide underneath mine. That feels weird, doesn't it? Yeah. And then I slide my, do it, everybody do it. Hand off the top, slide it underneath the bottom one. Oh, it just feels weird. Thank you. Yeah, so (laughs) that is to submit. Notice it's active, because what happens? You're not just submitting yourself going below the person, you're also then pushing them up. I love that. I love that. I love doing premarital counseling because I got to teach that to young people. And so, wives and husbands, verse 22 onward in Ephesians is zooming in on your relationship of submitting to one another. But that idea of going below and lifting someone up, that's what we're called to do. And by the way, just so that I don't skip over what the epistle reading was today, 5.22, where it says, wives, submit to your husbands. Do you know what that is? It just says, wives, to your husbands. It pulls the verb from the verse before. Guess what? Hey, husbands, guess what you have to do? Yeah. We'll get there in a second. You also have to submit to your wives. Because what are we all doing? We're submitting to one another. Now, is that this? No, it's this. It's we help each other. We encourage each other. We lift each other up. We do what Christ does. We go below to lift them up. And by the way, and then we'll get back to it, the whole wives or husbands love your wives. You know how um, when wives uh, read this epistle reading this morning, and who read this morning? You did great. Nowadays, when wives read 522 and on, they're like, oh, I've got to read this verse. Oh. Originally, husbands, when they read that verse, they would go, oh, this is terrible. Because in those days, husbands didn't really love their wives. The relationship wasn't like we understand it today. That was the radical part of this verse. All right, back to 521 and where I'm getting to with this. When you hear that tug inside of you, go for Christ. 
when you're in that moment of discernment and you have that choice, am I going to take this step? Am I going to help this person? Am I going to join together with my brothers and sisters at Jordan and take this giant step forward in service? Think of that one word. Submit. Not the old definition, the real definition. Am I going to follow the lead of Christ to go underneath others and lift them up? Are you collectively as a congregation, hundreds of people strong, going to bind yourselves together and submit to the community around you? That is, are you collectively going to go under and lift up? Are you going to submit to each other? Now, the reason that the husband and wife example is so powerful is that if a husband and a wife are constantly submitting to one another, what happens? Yeah, everybody's up. Everybody's good. Everybody's cared for. Can you imagine if a congregation did that to one another? Can you imagine if your community did that? It can happen. The Lord says it can. So as we kind of wrap this concept, in fact, as we wrap this whole summer, if there's a summary that I want to bring from the outside, from a cousin who lives in Florida and works with churches all over the country, if I'm going to bring something to you all here today, and don't worry, this isn't the last time you'll see me. (laughs) Is that I need you to join together with all the other Christians this morning in going for Christ, that is, serving for Christ. There is, and hear this, there is no other reason for you to be alive. It's, it's a dramatic statement. And those two just join into that. There is no other reason for you to be on this planet except to serve for Christ. When you're done, you'll be in heaven. When you're retired, it'll be pretty awesome. Until then, we serve for Christ. And collectively, and this is what we get to celebrate as we wrap, collectively as a congregation, the only reason God has brought you together as a group of Christians called Jordan Lutheran Church is to serve in his stead, to be his light, to go for Christ. We're glad you've connected with us online and look forward to the opportunity to see you in person. On behalf of everyone at Jordan, we hope you will join us as we gather in worship of our Savior, Jesus Christ, every Sunday morning at 930 at Beaver Creek Cinemas in the peak of good living, Apex, North Carolina.